I'm E.J. Fagan. Tonight, I am pleased to be joined by Mr. Robert Hansen. Hi, E.J. And Tamar Chalker. Hello. So we uh, we've been we've been off for a couple of weeks. Uh, it has not been an eventful couple of weeks, but we do have a little bit of news. We have some stuff to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, Jay Happ. We're going to talk about Derek Jeter. We're going to talk about uh, Miguel Andujar. We're going to go through some new Statcast fielding statistics, and uh, and uh, and it should be a good time. So let's just get started. Derek Jeter, Hall of Famer. Uh, Tamar, are you are, as as the owner? I believe you have the you have the, the, the Twitter handle Jeterian. <laughs> yes, I do. So, as the owner of the Jeterian Twitter handle, uh, uh, what is your opinion of Derek Jeter being elected to the Hall of Fame? I mean, it was expected, but I loved. I, I watched the whole uh, interview with him, and uh, you know, after the election, and he was still so Jeter. It kind of almost irritated me. <laughs> <clears throat> like you loved hearing him say the best thing about being a Hall of Famer, or whatever was his time with the Yankees. But it's also just so, yeah, I don't know. It, it wasn't a surprise, but it was a lot of fun to watch. So you're saying Derek Cheater hasn't developed a personality. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I still love him. <laughs> Rob, how much do you care about the fact that one person did not vote for Derek Cheater and therefore he is not unanimous? Uh, I, you know... It rolls off my back. It doesn't matter to me. He 99.7% fine. Uh, the fact is that he's first ballot. He's in the Hall of Fame, and that's where he belongs. I I agree. Uh, we so much has been said about Derek Jeter. There is not much more that we could say on this podcast, and because we're recording it a week late, uh, a lot of this has been has been said very recently. Uh, so I, I just want to go through, go through with you guys and, and ask, what is your favorite? thing about Derek Jeter. It could be a moment, it could be a memory, it could be an abstract concept. Tomorrow, what is your favorite thing about Derek Jeter? I mean, for me, it's always going to be I was lucky enough to be sitting in the bleachers of Fenway for his very last game. My cousin and I paid way too much money to sit at Fenway, but at least in the bleachers, you can actually see the field, and I have a great picture of him right after his first little dinky hit or his last little dinky hit and a great one of him hugging Joe Girardi when he left so for me I think whenever I think of Jeter now I just I'm so grateful for being able to be at that game it's that personal sort of thing comes first and and then all of the the joy watching it I mean I watched him since I was a kid so he's he's such a big he's he's been that constant for me being able to be there for that last game was pretty exciting. I, I mean, I think for all of us, I mean, that like the Jeter, Jeter, and like the core four more generally defined our right. like our, our entrance into the Yankees. And Jeter was was the, the the captain of that team even before he was the captain. Like he was he was the charismatic force on that team. Right, and and the funny thing for me having the Jeterian, as you mentioned, Twitter handle is that my favorite player growing up was Bernie Williams. Which is why my cat's name is Bernie. And so things like that. Like I, I I love Jeter, but for me I was like there were he was never my favorite, but he was always the that representation of the Yankees. Rob, uh what is your favorite thing about Derek Jeter? Uh for me it's all of those highlight moments through the years, uh the flip, the dive into the stands, the uh game winning <laughs> hit in his final at-bat at Yankee Stadium, uh, the 
the uh, uh, how do you describe it? The um, the feeling like you know he he ranges like you know the the jump flip and throw all those things uh, as uh, uh, really created for me a, a lasting leg- legacy because it's spots throughout the entire career of Jeter. You know, yeah, all those things I mentioned just now are moments, but there were so many moments throughout throughout his career like that uh, that it, it, it's fun to go back and think of that. You don't think of this, the mundane plays from day to day. Baseball is such a grind, 162 games, 20 years of, of play. Those moments, those those great plays, those great hits uh, in the playoffs over and over again, the Mr. November stuff, all those moments, all those uh, uh, flashes of light throughout a long career like Jeter's. Uh, are what I'm going to hold on to because you can because you have so many of those types of moments and that is what you hold on to. You know, I, I, uh, you don't remember, you, you're, you don't hold on to the fact that he hit 316 in, in, in 2012, right? You hold on to the, those individual moments. So I want to ask you, did Derek Jeter produce more of those moments or do we just remember them more? It's, it seemed like Derek Jeter, at least to me, like in my memory of him, was doing something like that every time the Yankees were in a big spot. And there were, there was just so many of those those memories over 15 years. And I'm wondering, like, am I just remembering Derek Jeter moments, or did Jorge Posada and Andy Pettit and all those guys just produce fewer moments? I think they just produced fewer moments. Me too. I, because I think so. I think Jeter did it on both the defensive side and on the offensive side. Posada, for example, just to use that the name that you threw out there, uh, you know, Posada was, was was a very nice hitter, um, very good for a catcher, uh, and I think was was a decent catcher behind the plate. Uh, and being a catcher, I think limited him in his ability to kind of have those types of moments. It's a different position. Uh, shortstop is kind of not uh, a, a, almost like the captain of uh, the infield in, in certain respects. Posada, you know, I the Posada's moment, I remember, um, was uh, hitting that double off of Pedro Martinez uh, in the um, playoffs to uh, drive in, I think, there was, uh, did, did he tie it up or was it Matsui? But him on second base, you know, kind of, you know, uh, uh, pumping his fists, and that's when I remember Posada. Jeter's got, like, those moments plus all the, all the defensive ones. It just it, he just had the poetry in a way that a lot of players didn't, and and, uh, and really there was a legend of Derek Jeter in the way that most Hall of Famers don't really have a legend of. Um, well, they, go just for it. Go, going off that legend aspect, the things that he he hadn't been able to do, you knew about, like mm-hmm. like all those years he'd never hit a grand slam. Right, I remember my my family and I were driving in in New Hampshire. And there actually used to be a Vermont station that ha- had the Yankees games, and so we were listening to the game, and the bases were loaded. And my dad got out to go to the grocery store, and Jeter hits his first grand slam ever, and I jump out into the parking lot and shout across in the middle of New Hampshire to my dad that Jeter finally hit a grand slam. Like the few things you knew about were also those like were built up so much. Because yeah, and you got surprise. tired of Michael K. bringing it up every time he was yeah, on base, exactly. you know, coming up with the bases loaded. Um, you know, here, here's my favorite moment. I, I remember it very clearly. I uh, I was fortunate enough. I got to I got to go with my father to see the last game at, at Old Yankee Stadium. Um, you know, it was the last game of the season. I think Messina pitched. We had these tickets kind of way up in the upper deck, and um, you know, the game is played. They end the game, and then. As part of kind of the, the the going away ceremony, Derek Jeter takes all of the Yankees. He kind of brings up him up into a crew into into a ball, and they all walk around, take their hats off, and salute the fans just all the way around. 
right? I have this wonderful picture that I took from the upper deck. Um, I had this big fancy camera. I was, at the time, I thought I was going to be like putting, taking sports photos for my blog all the time. That didn't happen very much. Uh, but I, uh, I have this wonderful photo of Derek Jeter kind of with his hand raised saluting the upper deck right where I was. Uh, he gave a great speech there about how great Yankee Stadium was, and uh, uh, and I just and I just remember loving it. Um, the other thing I'll just say, I'm going to cheat and have a second one. I love that he still had Bob Shepard's introduction yeah. taped for him, even after Shepard left. Like that's just that's that was just a touch. Jeter knew how to grab things. the moment. He knew he, he knew what it meant to be a Yankee, and he went and ran with it and built a much more than just a career off of it. I feel like. And. and uh, Yep. Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, and uh, and just to, uh, to play off of that, uh, you know, a, a, as I've talked about before, baseball is such a mo- is such a sport that uh, not only lives in the in the present but lives in the past. And kind of mm-hmm. keeping Bob Shepard's voice alive in Yankee Stadium, even for a little bit while longer, um, was what was such a nice fitting touch. You know, if you have uh, voices like Michael Kay's, John Sterling's, who uh, are the voice of the Yankees on radio or TV. Uh, voices of the Yankees in the past. Uh, Shepard was the voice of uh, of the stadium itself, I think. So for Jeter to continue doing that for a couple years after it was, uh, I think, just um, almost pure Jeter. You know, kind of that. You know, knew the right thing to do. Uh, and and it was just that's just another example. I mean, we joke about Jeter not having a personality because he didn't. Because specifically when talking to the media, he did not have a personality. But from everybody talking about Derek Jeter, he clearly had a personality that we couldn't see. I think that was one of those moments where it kind of shone through. Um, and uh, and also when he stole the MacArthur sign uh, after after yes. uh, <laughs> after after it ended. Um, so that's Derek Jeter. That's that's about all we have. We we can say about him. We wish him best. I'm looking forward to the Hall of Fame induction this summer. Uh, but we have some more some more recent news. So to transition from Derek Jeter to just as important a player, Jay Happ, uh, Brian Cashman announced that Jay Happ will open the 2020 season in the Yankees rotation. So the Yankees rotation will be Garrett Cole, Luis Severino, James Paxton, Masahiro Tanaka, and Jay Happ. Uh, that means that if that's the case, then Jordan Montgomery will not open the season in the rotation. There won't be a battle in spring training between Loizaga and Abreu and Mike King and Garcia and all of those guys um, who we talked about. We've talked about a bit in this podcast. Um, Jay Happ will be the fifth starter to start the season uh, unless something changes. Rob, is this is this a good thing? What what is your opinion of this this move? Uh, I remain somewhat skeptical uh, of of using the word. Move, uh, so to speak. Okay, that move. Uh, announcement. An, uh, well, but e- even the announcement, you know, will say, uh, I remain skeptical. Uh, I, I the, the Yankees are saying this. They've round out the rotation, allegedly. But I still think that there's a good chance that there will be some type of battle for the fifth spot come uh, spring training. If the new pitching coach uh, and, uh, and the new... Uh, uh, a strength, uh, a strength, and, and trainer uh, can come in and really work with the really young guys, Montgomery, Loizaga, and we see them take a really big step forward. If Hap scuffles in uh, spring training, then he might. Lo- I think he might lose the fifth spot. Maybe he keeps it just, just kind of for veterans' sake uh, to start the season. But I, I think he, he could potentially lose it. Um, if he if he has a season like he did last year, and then you've got guys like Montgomery and Lewisica, you know, kind of uh, following close behind on him. Uh, Tamar, given given all the other options, is Jay Happ the fifth best starter on the Yankees roster? 
Sorry, can you repeat that? G- given all of the guys we've talked about who are AAA, given Jordan Montgomery, um, et cetera, is, uh, is Jay Happ the fifth best starter on the Yankees roster? I wouldn't be surprised if he's the fifth best starter at the start of the season. Um, I, think, I think you can never have enough starting pitching options. And so I'm not necessarily mad at it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think right now at the start of the, I, I don't, I don't want to rush Garcia up there at the start of the season necessarily or some, like, I, I, I don't know. It's, I like it. I like having that veteran at least for the start. And if it doesn't, you know, if we don't see what we saw in like 2018, then, you know, you, there are other options. I've been concerned about their pitching until they got Garrett Cole, so... <laughs> So I guess I disagree with both of you a little bit here. I mean, I think I think that Jay Happ is probably like about as good as replacement level, right? He was a 4.9-ish ERA last year. That's roughly replacement level, maybe slightly above it. And and you're setting your ceiling at that player in in, the, in this in this uh, in this case, right? So like maybe um, you know maybe you got a lot of bad players coming in at AAA. Maybe Jordan Montgomery is not all that good. Maybe Michael King is not all, all that good. Maybe Nick Nelson's not all that good. Maybe Jonathan Lewiska is not all not all that good. Um, but I think one of them might be that good. And and that's why I, I kind of want to make him earn his spot in spring training. Like let him battle alongside all the other guys, and either he can get traded or he goes to the bullpen or something like that or gets released if he doesn't if he doesn't succeed in that battle. Um, I, I agree with you that I think depth is useful, which is why you know trading him would be would probably be a little bit difficult. But I think you got a lot of depth, right? You got six legitimate starters on the forty man roster at AAA. You've got Domingo Herman coming back mid season. I, like it, it, it seems to me like I, they clearly wanted to get rid of him, right? So they, they clearly thought that right. they could do better without him. Um, but I just, I, it feels like a, like a, like a caving into the veteran to me. But I also think that that I don't buy that he doesn't have to still earn his spot. You know, okay. I, I think he still has to earn his spot. But if you're still looking to try to move him, you know, which isn't out of the realm of possibility, you have to start mm-hmm. planning with him. But you know, you, you don't want to already relegate him to not being a starter if you're still trying to move him. It I think it's a really good point. I, I, th- I think you're probably right about that, that, that maybe maybe the goal is to move him eventually, or if he comes in throwing 87 in spring right. training, then you give the other guys a chance. Rob, what do you think is the probability out of 100 that Jay Happ is the fifth starter uh, in April and on, uh, in you know when the Yankees break camp? Uh, I'll put it at 80%. I'll put okay, it that's pretty high. At okay. 80%, yeah. Yeah. Tomorrow, um, what do you think the probability is? I would say 90%. Okay. I, I think it's a hair Still. lower than either. Right. Um, there's also all the other cases like injuries and stuff, which I think could matter there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably – at this point, it's probably definitely above 50, I think, and, and, and maybe closer to 80 than 50. Um, but um, – but we will see. I want to move on, though. Enough J-Hap talk. It's not very exciting. Let's talk about the new hotness, or two seasons ago's new hotness, and that is Miguel Andujar. The Yankees have stated that they want Miguel Andujar to learn to play first base and left field during the offseason and spring training, uh, and uh, they plan to use him prim- uh, to use Gio Urshela as their primary first baseman. Um, this comes as the Yankees have a fairly crowded uh, outfield, um, and a uh, fairly crowded group of players at first base. So at first base, the Yankees have Luke Voigt, who will also get some time at DH. 
Uh, and they have Mike Ford, who uh, may also get some time at DH. Ford's probably the better defensive player of those two. Uh, you also might have to see some DJ LeMay and some other some other kind of stuff in there. Uh, in the outfield, it's even less open. Um, you have Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, who also might get some time at DH, Brett Gardner, Mike Talkman, and eventually Aaron Hicks. Uh, so, Tamar, here's my question. Which position, if assuming Miguel Andujar is not traded or sent to the minors, which position do you think he earns the bulk of his at-bats playing? I would. I, I'm leaning towards first base because of the long ja- log jam you've talked about out at um, in the outfield. It's like you're clearly trying to find a way to keep his bat in there. His, he's he's not known at all for his defense, so I feel like first base is where he can do the least harm. But yeah, as you said, I mean you're still dealing with Voight and and Ford. I don't know. It's hard. They're just. I feel like they're just trying to find somewhere to stick him. Do you think that he'll be a better first baseman than Luke Voigt? I would say comparable. I don't know. He if seems, be he's, he's that much more athletic, yeah, right? Like, yeah. like, like you can you look at Luke Voigt, you go like, oh yeah, I get why he's not a good first baseman. You look at, at Miguel Andar, you go, he probably should be a pretty good third baseman, but he's not. Right. Exactly. Um, um, Rob, what is your ideal infield lineup, starting lineup? Who plays third base? Who plays first place? Who plays DH? Who's in the outfield? Uh, so for me, ideal uh, going uh, starting from I guess third base, uh, Urshela would start at third. Um, uh, Torres at shortstop. Uh, Lemayhu at second. Uh, then at first, uh, I, the hard one. Yeah, it's a hard one because I I feel like you you can mix and match in that one. Um, I would. So, would you go with a platoon at first, or would you go with one primary starter? Well, I was I was going to say no. I I think for that one, you probably you have enough guys at first base who all who all at least have either a track record of um, success to, to varying degrees, or uh, uh, some you know uh, 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 potential there. Uh, I'm thinking Mike Ford in particular uh, for that one. Uh, so I think you could platoon first base and then maybe do a two out of three ain't bad. You know, uh, one plays first, one DH is the, and the third one sits for a particular game. And then you just kind of uh, move, move them around uh, to, see, you know, give someone a day off, see who's uh, got the hot glove at first for a while. Uh, maybe maybe play the um, uh, splits uh, to see, you know, for, uh, excuse me, uh, match, matchups uh, and, and then go from there. I, I think it's really clear that we don't want to see... Uh, we don't want to see Miguel Andhar at third base really at all. Yeah. Right? He's just yeah. that bad. Um, we're going to talk about fielding statistics, statistics in a second, but I don't even think you need the statistics. Like, you could watch him and he just never had any range out there. Right. And, you know, if you think that, unless Gio Urshela flops, I mean, Gio Urshela could, could, could turn back and do the, his, the previous version of himself and then you have a hard decision to make. Right. But even then, like, I'm thinking about, like, what do I do with DJ Mayhu? Do you know, I, I think you have other options there that, that, that could also could also work. Um, I, I also think Clint Frazier is a name we have to talk about, right? He's still on this roster. Uh, I think he can still be sent down. He can still be sent down to the minors one more time, so he might be on that roster. Um, but he's a guy who probably should be a DH. Um, we're going to talk about fielding statistics. He does very poorly in the fielding statistics. Um, I, I'm impressed by Mike Talkman's numbers, and I think he deserves some playing time. My, I think my paternal point is like Miguel Andujar needs to go. That's I, I don't think there's room for him on this roster. 
Um, especially when Taron Hicks comes back. How long till uh, Hicks comes back? So Hicks will be back in August-ish. So like, so like so late maybe, in the season, and things could change by then. But yeah, uh, I was gonna say, so maybe Andrew gets more time in the outfield since there's since there's since uh, Stanton is gonna probably get a lot of time at DH to kind of help preserve his um, his health. Uh, you know, Judge will be in the outfield, uh, and so there'll be some spots. I guess maybe Andujar might be able to get us some more playing time in the outfield. And then if that doesn't work out, and Hicks comes back, and maybe they put him, shove in first base and uh, a DH uh, once uh, once uh, we get the return of, of Hicks. Tamar, do you think that Miguel Andujar is would be a good left fielder? Sorry, can you repeat that? Do you think that Miguel Andujar would be a good left fielder? <laughs> That's I. I'm so suspect because I mean, I, and I was trying to think. I don't know if he's has he ever played any outfield. I can't remember he, the minors. Basically, has. no. I mean, he may, unless there might be a couple of games in there, but like functionally, he has been a third baseman as long as I can remember in the minors. Right. Yeah. I mean, so I feel like first is a much easier move than outfield. It worries me to see. I. I. It would be interesting to see. I mean, I guess that's what spring training is for. But I can't quite picture him in the outfield and me feeling better about it. I was stalling while you were talking, so I was bringing up his sprint speed. Um, and there is some good news there, that his sprint speed is well above average for a third baseman. Now, this is his 2018 sprint feed speed. So the average for, for a third baseman was about 27 feet per second. I'm sorry, that's the league average. <clears throat> for a third baseman, it's actually a little bit less than that. Miguel Andahar was 27.8 feet per second, which is like right in line with, um, uh, with like corner outfielders. So he's fast. He's got an arm. Um, it wouldn't shock me if he ends up being like a halfway decent outfielder, but I think the most probable outcome is he ends up being like somewhere between below average to just bad. Um, so and we'll see that in spring training. I think I think it's another thing that that we'll get some clarity on um, to just to just to keep in mind. Um, but we've talked a little bit about Andujar, and I think I want to use that to transition to the StatCast statistics. So StatCast a few weeks ago released uh, a new statistic that is infield outs above average. Uh, StatCast had previously done outfield statistics for, for, um, for, for using its data to try to estimate how good fielders are at fielding things. Um, StatCast has an advantage over UZR and DRS. And what the UZR and DRS, what they do is, is they actually have people watching the game with a grid. Um, and they, they, uh, they grade how difficult it is to catch a ball based upon how quickly it got to a spot and what spot on the grid it got to. Um, this can be difficult. Um, this can, the, in, in the new age of positioning, um, this can uh, hide some of the variation in ability because some players are positioned better than others. So the team is good at moving them into, into specific places. Some players, um, uh, some balls are easy to get to if you're in one position, but not in another position. And so um, you kind of, you kind of lose some of that. Um, you, 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 there's a little bit of extra randomness thrown into the, 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 those, those statistics, but that's what we've been using for a long time. It's the best we've had. Now we have StatCast. And what StatCast does is it measures in the outfield, right, the the distance that the fielder has to go to get a ball and how long it takes the ball to get there and uses that to generate a difficult a difficulty score. So if it's a really sharply hit ball that's that's you know up over their head and, and difficult to get to, that is a hard play to make and they get more credit for making it. And then if it's a pop-up that should be really easy to get to, it's an easy play and they get less credit for making it and or more credit for not making it. They use that to generate outs above average in the outfield. 
how many uh, outs more than the average fielder uh, did they did they make? Um, this is a statistic that uh, I think has been validated pretty well uh, by by people watching the game. I will say it's it's more regressed than UZR and DRS. So because it's statistically estimated, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty in, in the data. It takes a lot of observations to do this. Um, and there's the, and there essentially are, um, in order to make a more accurate statistic, they assume there's more random chance in there. And as a result, um, there's a lot of numbers that are right around zero. Uh, and we're going to see this with infield outs above average. But just to give you an idea of, um, of kind of what the distribution looks like, um, if we look at uh, all of the Yankees, um, in, um, uh, in in 2019, um, we see that the best Yankee was plus nine runs. That was my, my Talkman. Aaron Judge was right below it at, at, at plus eight runs. Those are pretty good. Those are two of the best fielders in the game. My Talkman was 10th. Aaron Judge was, was 12th. So eight runs or, or eight outs or nine outs, all that, that, that is, that's the difference between the average and one of the best fielders in the game. Victor Robles was best at 23. The, the best fielders by UZR, by DRS, are much more, much farther away from the average. Rather, there's more fielders that are that kind of distance from the average. They measured in runs instead of in outs. Um, and there are players who, there are plenty of players who are in that plus eight to plus 15 range, um, by, by those statistics. Conversely, there's lots and lots of players just sitting right around zero. Um, uh, players who are plus one, negative one, plus two, negative two, they're, they're, they're very similar. This is a product of the statistics used to measure it. It makes it more accurate, but it also means it can kind of mask how good or bad some players are. There might be, the players might actually be much worse than they are. The outliers might be actually much worse or better than, than they are by the, the, these numbers. That's a long way of setting up that we now have infield numbers. The infield numbers are tremendously harder to estimate than outfield numbers because in outfield, you can pretty much assume that most catches are similar. Uh, but in the infield, there's just lots of things that could happen in the, in the, in the infield. There's pop-ups, uh, there's, um, uh, there's plays to the left, plays to the right, bunts, etc. And so it took them a long time and more data to estimate this. But we now have, uh, I think, pretty reliable numbers on uh, which Yankee infielders were good and which Yankee infielders were bad in 2019. So Rob, um, I've sent you this list. You've had a chance to look at it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, what I, yeah. what surprised you about this list? What which Yankee players really give me one Yankee player that really stood out as better or worse than you thought they were, and one Yankee player that uh, which kind of met your expectations and these data kind of kind of made sense. Uh, so one that was worse than I than I thought was was, was going to be Glaber Torres. Um, I never thought of him as maybe the best sh- uh, fielding shortstop in the league. But, uh, what was he? I think he was at negative one or negative two, somewhere around that. He, he was at negative seven. Is it negative? Oh, even worse than I remember. Um, okay. There, there is, however, a there's a caveat right. there. Yeah, for him, they, uh, they they brought that up because I think, I think they kind of knew that it's like, oh, geez, like Glaber Torres look, looks pretty bad by these statistics, technically. Uh, like, and then when you dug into it, his time in what we would consider a traditional shortstop position. He was about league average, which I, w- I would think that sounds about right. But when he was ranging over either playing second or in the second base area as a shortstop, that's where he, I, b- I believe, lost a lot of his points. Which is fascinating because he played a lot of second base last year, and the year before he was really bad at second base. So this kind of makes sense. He's just not good on that side of the infield. Right. Um, so Glaber Torres, probably about average, I think is the way we can interpret that, even though the numbers are a little more complex. 
Um, tomorrow, what about Didi Gregorius? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it makes you feel better about him him being with the Phillies, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what, what's, mean, the, what's the number? It's 13, I think, negative 13, was it? One of the worst defensive players in the league. Yeah. And he... I mean, I hate to judge him on last year, though. To an extent, just because he was coming off the injury and, and everything, and, and I've always liked mm-hmm. him. So, looking at you know his, his number for last... It's not surprising, but it is and it isn't. <laughs> I think is what he I He didn't mean. look like old DD last year. I yeah. think that's fair. That's, um, yeah. And he was coming off Tommy John surgery, so that makes sense. Exactly. Um, so, so Didi Gregorius was, I, I think, the most surprising to me. Uh, Tamar, what, what about some of the positive numbers? Like, who positively, who comes out really well with these numbers? I mean, Mike Ford. I mean, it's got to be a pretty small sample, but plus two, plus two uh, defensive first baseman in like 180 at bats. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. Give him first base. At that point, yeah. I mean, I think I think the competition purely on fielding, I think, it clearly goes to Mike Ford. I mean, like, I think the, the problem with Mike Ford, right, is that you look at him and he doesn't look athletic, right? <laughs> so, you, so you put him out at first base and you just assume he's not going to be very good there. Um, and, you know, we don't. it's hard to judge a first baseman. I think first base is the hardest position to watch and kind of see if they're good or bad um, because, you know, very often they're out of position because of holding a runner on or something like that. Um, Mike Ford was given a whole bunch of plays last year. The number of plays aren't on the, aren't on the spreadsheet that I'm looking at. And he fielded 94% of them. Um, given the difficulty of plays that he he was presented with, the average first baseman would have filled at 87% of them. That's a 7% success rate added, plus two outs above average, just slightly above average. Not great, like not a, not Mark Teixeira in his prime, but this suggests to me that Mike Ford is just way better out there than Luke Voigt, who was minus six in, in, in many more at-bats. And... I mean, I've been saying this for months, but I think he should be the first baseman. Um, so, whatever. I, 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 uh, uh, a new blog was started up, and in their Twitter bio, it said, "We are Mike Ford fans." Uh, I think the other the other news here is D, is DJ LeMayhew. So DJ LeMayhew, who is listed as a second baseman, was six outs above average. That's really good by this metric. Again, they're heavily regressed. He was presented. He, he, he was presented with a whole lot of plays. Uh, he fielded ninety percent of them successfully, uh, and eighty-eight uh, percent uh, would be would be an average would be the average in in, in that case. Um, so even those small percentages add up when you see the number of plays that DJ LeMay you said uh, showed in that um, uh, showed there. Um, he was really good moving toward first base, so maybe he can help cover up for a bad first baseman. Um, and he was really good when right-handed batters were up. Um, not so great when left-handed batters are up. Really good when right-handed batters are up. I think that's a function of the positioning and, and all of that. Um, so, I mean, I think we already knew that he was pretty good and that he would be in the field, but I think this is kind of good a good confirmation. Um, the other thing I want to point out is Gio Urshula. So Urshula, by some of the other numbers last year, by DRS, by UZR, was well below average. Not terrible, not Miguel Andujar in 2018, who was minus 11 in 2018 by these by these numbers, so basically as bad as Didi Gregorius was last year. Um, but um, Gio Urshula, by outs above, uh, infield outs above average, is perfectly average. And, like, it felt like Urshula was better than that. I am just reassured that another statistic system doesn't think he actually cost the Yankees last year. What's what's really nice is uh, the way that they break all this down into the positions, into all the different 
uh, kind of smaller pieces, but kind of you know, un, uh, uh, graspable. Uh, we'll say uh, smaller pieces in that uh, you know, uh, left-handed batter, right-handed batter, uh, r- r- relative position where you are uh, relative to what you uh, uh, what the uh, bases. Um, I like to see that. Uh, you know, yeah, he he looks average. Uh, I I think I agree with you that I remember from the eye test, we'll say, uh, that Urshela seemed like he was better than average. Uh, Probably from comparison with Andujar, maybe, you know, by comparison, (laughs) uh, he looked like he was great. Uh, But but I also also wonder a little bit, you know, sometimes you, you, you get the idea, it's like, well, you know, that guy's a good fielder. And you might look at these statistics and maybe they're a zero or like a negative one, maybe, or or even a zero. I mean, I mean, this is this is a relative score, right? So, are we saying that uh, a zero is a like you, you can still be a good fielder and be a zero, I suppose, right? Yeah, and the thing is, is that you could be good at certain things and bad at certain things. So, like one of the one of the the theories behind why people thought Derek Jeter was a good fielder is that Derek Jeter was actually the best fielder in at shortstop in baseball when he got to the ball. So if he could if he could make make the range, he could get a ball and do a weird spin throw and get to first base. He was the worst fielder in baseball at getting to balls, right? And so you didn't. It was hard to notice all those balls that he didn't get until he leaves, and you see Didi Gregorius out there, and all of a sudden you realize that like shortstops actually get balls in the hole sometimes. Right. I think that's sort of the case with Andujar, right? Like you don't, or 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 um, or or G. Ursula, like you don't see it on TV when the third baseman doesn't get to a ball, right? Because they're hit so hard, it's behind him by the time he gets there. So it's hard to tell the difference between a really good play by the third baseman and a really bad play. Um, the other thing I'll say that's important, I think, in, in the modern game here is that third basemen are shifted a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, it's hard to kind of tell from these data, but like he might just he might just have been at like other positions quite a lot. Um, I'm trying to remember. Did the, I think the Yankees used Glaber Torres at the shortstop hole and then moved Urshel um, over to second. Am I, am I wrong about that? I don't recall. They usually keep the shortstop at the sh- at shortstop. Um, either way, like that, like to me, that's what matters, right? Like, like, the, like the, those subtle differences there. Like, he just might be really bad outside of outside of the third base hole, and so we saw him look really good as a third baseman, but we didn't see him look really bad when when he was in a shift. Um, and the shift counts, right? So you can't you can't discount that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to. Uh, you, you, it might it might explain kind of the discrepancy in our opinions right here. Um, I think the other thing that stands out from these data um, are the outfield data, which is Mike Talkman. Right. I, I mean, we all thought Mike Talkman was a really good fielder. I think um, I, we were questioning whether or not he was a good hitter. Like he was hitting well, but it didn't seem like it was going to last. And he eventually got demoted when he went to a long hitting slump. Um, but this, these think that he is like one of the best fielders in the game. Basically, he was plus nine runs in limited playing time last year. Um, that's you know that is very high up there. That's tenth in the league. And if you look at all the guys around him, all of the guys around him are pretty darn good fielders. I mean, yeah. Also at plus nine is Camp Broxton, Malik Smith, Manuel Marco, Byron Buxton, De- Delano DeShields. Like a lot of really fast guys, and it makes sense that that he's among them. Um, and I mean, I think that that gives. I, I I think I support more playing time for him given given how good he's been. 
I think, yeah, I mean, not every bat needs to be, you know, a world beater. Sometimes you got guys in there because they, they're, they're a big enough plus on the defensive side that if they are middling uh, uh, in the lineup, they bat towards the bottom of the rotation. So be it. Someone's got to bat ninth. Uh, uh, and and if his if his feeling is is as good as this is, then yeah, give him more time. Should he platoon with Brett Gardner? I would say yes. I think that was been the plan for Gardner for a while. It's just that last year ended up be such a a parade of uh, injuries that Gardner got I think a lot more regular playing time than I think uh, we expected. I think even maybe he or the team expected. Tomorrow, would you platoon him with Brett Gardner? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's what those statistics show. Really, to me, was. He's someone who who deserves, I think, more than he I expected, and he was an exciting I mean, I player on, to watch I, last year. I bet I'm being better on both sides of the ball than Gardner next year. I wouldn't be surprised um, at all. Yeah, now they're both lefties, which is why platoon's kind of a weird word, <laughs> I guess. Um, but but uh, uh, Gardner doesn't have I don't think has particularly strong splits. Uh, my problem is I don't know who else you platoon him with. Because right. you got to take someone else out of the lineup, um, and so you think you know uh, platoon. Maybe I guess isn't the right word. I guess he's that you would alternate him with Brett Gardner or something like that. Um, and uh, I think he could play a pretty good center field. He didn't play a lot of center field last year, but it, he he appears to be that good at it. Or you put Judge in center, which is the other option. Um, We've gone 37 minutes. We've talked a lot. I want to thank you guys both for joining me. I want to thank everybody for listening. We'll be back next week, not in two weeks, next week with more episodes of your Bronx Beat podcast. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.